Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. This morning we are reading from Ruth 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of, the soldier, uh, 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then they said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our relative Elamak. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, and I will do so. And so I know. For no one has the right to it except you, and I am the next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption of the transfer of the property to become final, one party took off his sandals and gave it to another. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandals. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are the witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kedalion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Mobite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property, so that, this, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are the witnesses." Then the elders and the people at the gate said, You are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the family of Israel. May you have a standing in Ephraim and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring of the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family just be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who, has, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous through Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram the father of Abin. Amidabab, 
Amidabad, the father of Nashan, Nashan, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Let's pray together. Lord, as we uh, come to the end of this incredible story of Ruth this morning, we just want to pray, Lord, that you would uh, capture our hearts again with your goodness. Lord, we'd be overwhelmed of this ancient story and how it rings true in our story. Lord, this picture of love and grace and redemption. God, speak to all of us this morning, I pray. Lord, in the areas that you want to challenge us, challenge us. In the areas you want to encourage us, would you build us up and in the things that you need us to do in response, Lord, give us the courage to be obedient, we pray. Amen. It's always, the week you don't want to get asked to read the scripture is when someone gives you a genealogy, right? Because it wasn't Bob was the father of Frank, he was the father of Tom. It was like ancient Hebrew names are not easy. And uh, B did an incredible job. Um, I've just learnt Bible College 101, just press on, and if it's wrong, no one will know. They'll just all think that you're right. So really hard to kind of look at these family names. And it's interesting, if you read the scriptures, you find these family histories everywhere. Um, And some days you just think, why am I reading about this? Family history and, and ancestry isn't something that for many of us we're that interested in or we take a deep note. And some, some people I know have gone and explored it, but I know for me, I can think about, I know a little bit of my history, like one or two generations beyond that, but beyond that, I have no idea. I, I often drive past places that are Maine's and I think, I wonder if we're related somehow. I wonder if Joyce Maine is like somehow my distant second cousin. I wonder if Maine Logistics was born I wonder if the mains that owned the land at UQ um, have any kind of foreign relative to us. That would be good to know that. But I have no idea. It's just not something, I have to be honest, that I've ever pursued or that I have great interest in. We, we live in a world that's incredibly individualistic. And so our place in family matters, but not to the point where many of us could actually tell our family story back more than a few generations. There's some groups within our world today that the family history and origin and the story that comes from family, though, is very strong. And you go to some corners of the world, and from my limited and very ignorant understanding, I even believe our own Indigenous brothers and sisters have a greater sense of family and family story and family history than we do. But if you go to the ancient world, the the Hebrew Scriptures, family and heritage was everything. It's why the Bible is filled with family History, because your family was your identity and your family line was where you found your story. It's where you found your place in the world. It's where you found your hope from the past and your hope for the future. So family really, really mattered. It was how you found a sense of being okay with the world. And so through this whole book of Ruth, the theme of family and connection is incredibly strong. We miss that in the reading often because of our Western mindset. But go back to the very beginning of the story again. And for those that have been here, I apologize that we're going over old ground. But it's a story of Naomi and her husband who take their two sons to the land of Moab. And in Moab, they marry these two women, Orpah and Ruth. And then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies and so do her two sons. And so Naomi returns with only one of her daughters-in-law, 
who stays faithful to her, to the place that she had lived and grown in Israel, now a widow with no family line or hope for the future. And Naomi says, call me bitter. My story's bitter. God has just abandoned me. And you see, it wasn't just the pain of loss that Naomi speaks to there. It's also the pain of loss of a sense of identity in a future story. You see, the theme of family and the theme of story is significant in the story of Ruth because the loss of family means the loss of future, therefore the loss of hope. But as we got to Ruth chapter 3 last week, we discovered somebody new in this story, a man named Boaz, who the Bible tells us is the guardian redeemer of Ruth and Naomi. See, the guardian redeemer in, in the history of Israel was someone that had the chance to actually reconnect the story. And therefore, in reconnecting the story and rebuilding the family, hope was restored. And today we get to the last chapter in Ruth chapter 4, and as B's read to us, Ruth chapter 4 now goes beyond the discovery of this guardian redeemer to the reality of Boaz becoming the guardian redeemer of Ruth and Naomi and the restoration of hope into this family. You see, it tells us the love story of Boaz and Ruth, and it is a love story. But more than that, we see the faithfulness of Boaz who decides to fulfill his role as a guardian redeemer. See, the scriptures tell us that if a, a woman loses her husband, well, that man's brother should then marry her so that the name of the family can continue. But obviously, uh, Ruth's husband didn't have a brother that could take on that, so it then went to an extended family. And Boaz, as part of the extended family, could fulfill the role of being the guardian redeemer. And so we read about all the funny little transactional moments that happen and the other family member who's a little bit further up the family tree, the Boaz, that has the first opportunity to fulfill the role of guardian redeemer. And he says, oh, it's just, there's too much at stake here. So he neglects his duty and Boaz steps in and Boaz redeems Ruth's story. And, and the word redemption in the scripture is very transactional, but in a sense, Boaz says, Ruth, I take you on to be my wife. I take on your property. I take on your family name. And I reconnect your story into the grander narrative of what God has already been doing. So with all of this as the background, there's no surprise that the final moment, the climactic moment in the book of Ruth is actually the telling of a family story. And I'm not going to try all the names, but we get some really important names because it gets to the name Boaz and it says, Boaz and his wife Ruth give birth to Obed. And Obed gives birth to Jesse. And Jesse gives birth to David, who would become King David, King of Israel, one of the most significant people in the story of Israel and in the biblical story. But you see, Ruth and Boaz's story didn't end there because you fast forward to the New Testament now and you go to the very first chapter of the book of Matthew, Matthew goes right back to Abraham, but in Matthew's beginning of his gospel, Matthew starts with a family story. And he gets to Boaz as well and says, Boaz, the father of Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of King David. And David, the father of, and it goes on and on and on till we get to Eliezer, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. 
So what's the climax of the story of Ruth? You see, Ruth gets her hope restored as Boaz takes on the role of guardian redeemer. And her story becomes one now that is linked with the story of God. Because in Boaz and Ruth's story, King David is born and through the family line of King David, the Messiah Jesus is born. Heaven invaded earth. Just think about this for a minute because Ruth, a Moabite woman, is now part of the family of Jesus. What a great climax to the story of Ruth. In some ways, the story of Ruth just becomes a metaphor for the gospel story. Because it's what God wants to do for us. He wants to take your story, no matter how broken, no matter how disjointed, no matter how disconnected you feel, no matter how much pain that you've carried, Jesus wants to take your story and do the same thing for you that Boaz did for Ruth. Become your redeemer. Not just to redeem your story, but to invite you to be part of a grander narrative that lands with Jesus. You see, Ruth is the story of redemption. And as I said before, redemption is a transactional term in the scriptures. We got that, we bought a coffee machine and part of the deal with this coffee machine that we bought was you could go and redeem a voucher to get some free coffee for the coffee machine. That's a transactional term. I had to do something with it. I didn't read all the fine print, but I know it means I'm going to get 45,000 emails for the next three years, but who cares? I'll block them. I got free coffee out of it. It's like when you buy, like parents here that have to buy computers for their kids' schooling, where you get those things that say $100 cash back via redemption. Just give me 100 bucks off, so I don't have to go redeem anything. But redemption is a transactional term. You actually give one thing to receive another. And so when the Bible talks about redemption, there is a transactional overtone to it. And in the story of Ruth, there was a transaction that took place. Boaz had to step into his role as redeemer and take on all that that meant. And as he took on that role of redemption, Ruth's story was redeemed. You know, the redemption story of Ruth is one that I think confronts a whole bunch of things in our own stories. Because all of us carry things in our life and our story and our history that actually we look back on and we wonder what God would actually want to do with them. I know today there's some of us that are here and the thing that we carry from our past is, is a past of disappointment or a history of disappointment. And we look back and we think, you know, if people just knew about some of the things that I failed at, some of the things that I'd hoped for that never came to fruition, some of the dreams that were left unfulfilled, we carry a history of disappointment. For some of us, we carry a history of failure, failure through our own mistakes and decisions. And we look back and you think, man, if, if I hadn't made that dumb decision, if I hadn't made that choice, if I hadn't gone to that party, if I hadn't answered that email, if I hadn't taken that substance, if I hadn't slept with that person, all of these things in my story could have looked really different. And we don't like to expose those parts of our story to others, do we? But all of us here know of those parts of our story that we carry. We carry them like a burden because there's something in them that every time we want to take a step forward, there's a little voice in the back of our head that says, do you really think you're that deserving? Have you ever had that voice whisper in your ear? They want you to join the kids' team. You reckon you're deserving of that? What about when you were a young person, some of those dumb decisions you made? How could you ever say anything that's going to speak life or hope into another person? 
oh, they've invited you to join the team. If they really knew you at Gateway Ormo, they wouldn't let you near the church. It's surprising the fans haven't fallen down and the roof collapsed on you. Now, you all know that I would never say that and I would never believe it, but we've all had that whisper in the back of our ear, haven't we? If people just knew me or knew my story or knew my failures. And some of us carry, even today, some of us have sat in church our whole life and we carry this weight of failure. It might have been a really dumb decision you made when you were 16, 18, 25 years of age and here you are, 35, 40, 50, 75, I don't know but you still carry the narrative of that decision into your story today. Maybe some of us carry a a family label. In other words, our our family and our heritage has been so strong and the influence on them has been so significant, we actually don't think that we could ever break free from some of the, the reputation that's followed us because of where we've come from. I mean, Ruth... We all know Ruth, you all know. Here we are two, well, not two, thousands of years later and we're still talking about Ruth who? The Moabite. See, Ruth carried a family label and the Moabites, if you want to go and dig and do some historical work on the Moabites, we've done a little bit of it, but it gets a bit messier than we've probably given you the M-rated version. It kind of goes to the R-rated version. See, the Moabites, it was suggested, were born out of incest. That was how the nation, actually, that was in their origin story. So out of incest, this group of people was born and there was a whole bunch of messed up stuff that went on in their world and in their religious practice and in their worship of other gods and the way they treated people and the way they dealt with each other. Like, it was a messed up picture, the Moabites. And Ruth is who? A Moabite. You see, some of us actually carry a label that follows us and maybe it's our family, maybe where it's come from. It took me a long time to shake the Dubbo label. Can I just tell you that? And the accent. There's an accent when you grow up in Dubbo. It takes a while to get a normal accent. But some of us carry a label that comes from our past, that comes from our history, that comes from our family, maybe where we've come from. And sometimes that label actually becomes a stumbling block from us actually moving forward. Now, for some of you, it's like, I've come from a family that has no heritage of faith. All the people that I, you know, they've got a great heritage of faith. What could I offer? You know, my family's done this. My family's known for this. Whatever it is, some of us carry these labels. The the, the final thing many of us carry, and I want to unpack this a little bit further today, is many of us carry with us the story of shame. What's shame? But, but, But... In this place today, many of us carry the story of shame in our own life. A little nuance in this story that's, well, it's not really easily missed, but the the power of it is easily missed. It's a bit of an odd part of the story that B has read to us this morning, but it's one that actually links back to this powerful idea of family that I started with. See, the little practice in this whole transactional moment of Ruth taking his place as the guardian redeemer. It says he had to go to the elders at the gate of the town and he had to present with all the witnesses. And then it, it talks about a exchange of sandals. It's a little bit odd, isn't it? Like you sit there, you do all the thing, you don't hand money over, you just take your shoe off. Now, if you're going to do that, you hope that the person you're exchanging with has got a decent pair of runners or something. Because, they're right, Eric, they're not really my style. John, they look comfortable. Sam Murray, that's a pair of Vans. 
you're the kind of person that I want to exchange with. You want it like a six-year-old R.M. Williams, Sam, like that'll grow up to be a man. It smells. <laughs> See, there's this transactional moment. It's an odd picture in the story, but they exchange shoes. Take off their sandals and they exchange their sandals. Let me take you back to a scripture in the book of Deuteronomy. This is why you wear boots, so easy to put on. Take you back to a scripture in the book of Deuteronomy that takes this whole idea a little bit further. Deuteronomy 25 says this. It gives sense to the whole story playing out in Ruth. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Or guardian redeemer. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Again, we don't get this, but this is huge in the people's story that their name is one that is based in the past and has continuation into the future. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of the town shall summon him and talk to him. And if he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, it gets a bit aggressive, spit in his face and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. <laughs> Hands up if you can remember reading that before, because I read it last week and I cannot remember reading that passage of Scripture before. I had so many thoughts about what I could do with this concept of the family of the unsandaled in church this morning. Most of them I had to shelve. Most of them I'll maybe get the courage for a future sermon but I'm taken by this concept as being known as the family of the unsandled. In other words, this is what happens. Your brother dies, his wife is left now as a widow, and you as the brother should fulfill your role as the guardian redeemer to marry your sister-in-law. But this isn't just so that you can look after her because there is an underwritten expectation here that part of your responsibility is to actually help her have children so that a son in the family can continue the name of their father, who was your brother. It's a bit messy, isn't it? Now, a few of you are thinking, I have to marry my sister-in-law. That's just what you're thinking. Or, I have to be known for the rest of my life as the family of the unsandled. <laughs> now, I'd like a show of hands this morning. If you're going to put up with the shame of this or you're going to marry your sister-in-law and help increase it, we're not going to do a show of hands. <laughs> but some of you are thinking, I, I, I've been called worse things. <laughs> if all they're going to call me is the unsandaled, the consequence of the other side of that equation is a whole lot worse. Now, I'll make a joke of it, but we actually missed the power of this picture. I don't have time to put my sock and shoe back on, so you're just going to have to get used to me standing like this. We miss the power of this picture because once again, it's grounded in the importance of family and of story, but more importantly, 
in the culture of shame that existed in the culture of Israel. You see, to carry the title as someone that was from the family of the unsandled was to carry a title of shame because you chose to not fulfill your requirement and your duty and you brought shame on another person's story. As I said, family histories really matter. Just read the Bible. When I was a young kid and first had a real desire to try and read the Bible from cover to cover, I'd do really well till I got to the genealogies in the first couple of books of the Bible and I'd be like, oh, surely God, there's something you're trying to tell me out of this, but I can't even pronounce their names. What's the value of this? Well, the value is it reminds people of their place in the story. And so to not fulfill your obligation as a guardian redeemer was to actually heap shame on someone else's story And the outcome and the consequence was your story was now forever going to be attached to a story of shame. We in our Western thinking aren't as aware of the power of the honor and shame culture that is very, very deeply enrooted in the Eastern world and the Eastern thought. The people of Israel lived in this honor and shame culture. Shame was a significant, significant thing that people bore. But I want to ask the question this morning, what does shame look like in your story? Because I reckon as we come into the land this morning, the thing as I've been praying this week and preparing this, that God wants to do is to release shame from some of your stories so that you can walk into a brand new future. You see, shame is one of those things that has an incredibly powerful hold over us. The, The dialogue that we speak is, if people knew what I had done or if people knew what had been done to me sometimes, If people knew what I was really like, if people actually saw the reality of my marriage, not the one that I put on Facebook or the one that I uphold on Sunday in church, but if they actually saw it on Wednesday night behind closed doors, if people saw the kind of parent I was and the challenges that I've got with my kids, if people saw how little I lived out the Christian life that I speak and espouse to, if people knew my family, if people knew my past, if people knew my failure. See, shame is one of those things that has a deep and a powerful hold over many of us because we believe that because of shame, we couldn't be accepted by others, let alone by God. See, shame stops us from believing that our future is filled with hope because shame keeps us trapped in the stories of our past. Shame actually stops us from going to a new level of relationship with others. For some of us, shame is the thing that's actually holding your marriage back or, or holding your, your freedom in the way you parent back. Or In a church contest, it's the thing that actually stops you wanting to get too deep into a life group in case someone asks you that question. Or shame is the thing that actually stops you wanting to engage with others because there's always a narrative that says, if people really knew this thing that I carry, they wouldn't accept me. See, shame has a deep impact on our relationships. Shame has a deep impact on our sense of value and contribution. For some of us, the thing that holds us back from wanting to serve, wanting to use our gifts to bless others, is the shame that we carry. How could God ever use someone like me? For some of us today, it's shame that cripples our story. See, in Ruth's story, shame came through not anything she chose, 
But her and Naomi carried shame because they were going to be the last generation of this family story. But then Ruth met a man named Boaz who chose to become her redeemer. And one of the things that Boaz redeemed from the story of Ruth and Naomi was the story and the history and the future of shame. Jesus wants to meet you and he wants to redeem you from the shame that you carry in your story. If you're here this morning, you've never met Jesus. The Bible says this in the book of Romans. Fast forward now to after the time of Jesus, who becomes our Redeemer. The writer of Romans says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. See, what's it mean to actually become a follower of Jesus? It's got nothing to do with anything that you can do. It's got everything to do with what Jesus has already done. And then the step that you've got to take is a willingness to receive it and accept it and deliver it. He goes on, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now listen to this, verse 11. We often don't go to verse 11. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him, let's read it together, will never be put to shame. Boaz redeems Naomi and Ruth's story from a story of shame. Boaz doesn't have to be known as part of the family of the unsandaled, lucky guy. But more than that, Jesus is the one who redeems your story from a story of shame. So if you've never met Jesus before, as the writer of Romans says, the invitation is, will you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead because if you choose to make that declaration you will be saved as we just land our service this morning I'd love to give anyone here today that has never made that declaration to make that declaration and we're just going to pray for a minute and if you're a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning why don't you pray with me but today I'd love to give you the opportunity to discover the God who wants to become your redeemer and redeem your story from shame So as every eye closes and head bows, if today is the day where you would like to, for the very first time, put your faith in Jesus, allow him to redeem your story. Choose to put your faith and your trust in him to accept his grace and his forgiveness and to be replanted and reconnected to a story of hope and a story that puts you in God's future. I'd love to pray with you right now. If that's you this morning, just... I'm the only one that's going to be watching for this, but can I just ask you, would you just raise your hand? Because I'd just love to lead you through a prayer. I'm going to give you some words that you're going to pray. So God himself is going to hear this from your mouth. If that's you this morning, you want to take that step and put your faith in Jesus, why don't you just right now raise your hand so I can pray with you? Thanks, mate. Anyone else? Anyone else want to join in that prayer this morning? Okay, why don't we all pray together this? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you become my redeemer that you gave your life so that I could be forgiven. Today I declare with my mouth that you are my Lord. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. And I look forward to a brand new future found in you. Amen. Can we all stand together this morning, church?
Because I think there's one more response to this morning's message. And I think it's, it's a really important one for some of us here today. I just believe God wants to do something for you today. And He just wants to give you a gift. He wants you to experience just the depth of His grace and His goodness in your story. And some of us have been walking into church for weeks, months, years, maybe decades. And the thing that we carry is a story of shame. It's from our past, it's from our decisions, it's from our family. It's, it's the story that says, if you knew who I was and if God really knew who I was, I'd never be accepted, I'd never be free and you wouldn't want to ever talk to me again. And there's just something in you that you know it's not true, but the voice never goes away. And right now it's become the thing that's held you back from moving forward in your relationships. And God's desire for you to use your gifts to serve Him and serve others and to build His church. It's the thing that's just holding you back from seeing yourself as God sees you as beloved and as valuable and as an awesome part of His creation. It's the thing that's holding you back is this story of shame. Well, guess what? Jesus didn't come to earth so you had to carry your shame into the future. He came to earth to redeem you from your story of shame so that your future, as Ruth's future was, could be reconnected back into His story and be filled with hope. And you can step forward with a new freedom and a new confidence, not because of anything you've done, but because of the work of Jesus who gave his life on the cross so you could be redeemed and then rose to life so that through the power of the resurrection, you can experience new life. God wants to release the story of shame from your story so you can walk freely into a brand new future. As we sing this final song this morning, we'd just love to minister to some people today in prayer because I believe God, by the power of His Spirit, wants to help you find a brand new story and a brand new narrative that's not the story of shame. As we sing today, I'm going to invite some of our leaders just to move forward so you don't feel like you're coming out here alone. If you'd like someone to stand and pray with you, why don't you move forward? We'd just love to surround you and pray for you this morning that God would release you from shame so that you can know the joy of a glorious future that can only be found in Him. Come on, why don't you move right now? We love to pray with you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.